Welcome to Murder Minute, your daily dose of true crime. On today's episode, the story of a Long Island serial killer who is still on the loose. But first, your true crime headlines. An argument escalated to violence in Virginia, leading a man to shooting his girlfriend and her son. 56-year-old Mark Turner and his girlfriend were having a pre-Easter dinner at their home, with her adult son also in attendance. At some point in the evening, the two men began to argue about which company made better trucks, Chevy or Ford. During the argument, Turner pulled out a knife. His girlfriend attempted to intervene, so Turner stabbed her in the back. He then retrieved a gun and pointed it at his girlfriend's son. She again attempted to step between her son and her boyfriend and was shot by Turner five times in the leg. Her son was shot in the arm and his girlfriend was struck by two bullets that ricocheted, striking her in the cheek and the back. Turner was charged with felony malicious wounding, use of a firearm in the commission of a felony, and possession of a firearm by a felon. The trial of accused Hollywood ripper Michael Gargiulo is underway in Los Angeles, and a well-known actor is among the 250 names on a list of potential witnesses. 43-year-old Gargiulo is accused of murdering three women and attempting to murder a fourth over a 15-year span between 1993 and 2008. Among his victims was a 22-year-old fashion student named Ashley Ellerin, who had been dating Ashton Kutcher at the time of her murder. Kutcher is expected to be called to testify about his recollections on the night of Ellerin's death, which occurred in February of 2001. Miss Ellerin was supposed to see Kutcher that night, but when he arrived at her Hollywood bungalow, she didn't answer the door. Her car was parked outside, so he knocked again, but eventually gave up and left, thinking that she may be angry at him and intentionally ignoring him. Instead, it is believed that Gargiulo had stabbed the woman 47 times in her bedroom hours earlier, and she was already dead when Kutcher came knocking at her door. In addition to Ellerin's murder, Gargiulo is also charged with the stabbing death of Maria Bruno in El Monte, California in 2005, and the attempted murder of Michelle Murphy in Santa Monica in 2008. Murphy was able to fight off the attack, injuring him in the process. Blood at the crime scene helped investigators identify Gargiulo as her attacker, and subsequent evidence found in his apartment tied him to the murders of Bruno and Ellerin. Gargiulo is also accused of a fourth murder that took place in Chicago in 1993 and is expected to stand trial in that case as well. After spending 27 years in prison for the murder of her lover's wife, a real-life fatal attraction killer, Carolyn Warmus, has been granted parole. Warmus, now 53, was convicted of the 1989 killing of Betty Jean Solomon, for which she was given a sentence of 25 years to life. At the time of the murder, Warmus was a 26-year-old elementary school teacher who was involved in an affair with an older married colleague named Paul Solomon. Solomon had repeatedly promised Warmus that he would leave his wife once his daughter had graduated from high school, but prosecutors alleged that Warmus got tired of waiting and took matters into her own hands. They believe that Warmus went to the Solomon home in January of 1989, shot Mrs. Solomon nine times, and then went to meet Paul Solomon for drinks and a sexual encounter after the murder. Carolyn Warmus has steadfastly maintained her innocence. At her first parole hearing in 2017, she refused to apologize for a crime she says she didn't commit, insisting that she was only convicted at trial because of the enormous amount of publicity surrounding her case and because prosecution witnesses portrayed her as an obsessed stalker. The murder happened just two years after the blockbuster film starring Glenn Close and reporters drew comparisons between Warmus and the fictional mistress portrayed in the movie. A three-year-old girl burned to death in a car fire in Queens last weekend in what authorities now believe was arson. 
39-year-old Martin Pereira was involved in a contentious custody dispute with the mother of three-year-old Zoe. The little girl's mother had fought against visitation, but a judge ruled in Pereira's favor and allowed him to take his daughter for the weekend. On Sunday evening, he set his car on fire with his young daughter in the back seat. Witnesses report seeing him running from the vehicle with his clothing on fire and jumping into a nearby pond to douse the flames. Pereira used a chain to lock the vehicle's back doors from the inside, but the heat from the fire melted the door handles and firefighters were able to pry the doors open. Zoe Pereira died from her injuries. Martin Pereira is being treated for his burns at a New York hospital and is expected to face homicide charges in the murder of his young daughter. Those are your true crime headlines. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 8989 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 8989. Enjoy! This is Murder Minute, your daily dose of true crime. On today's episode, the story of a serial killer who has never been found. Stay tuned for the story of the Long Island serial killer. Our story begins on May 1st, 2010. 24-year-old Shannon Gilbert, an escort who advertised through Craigslist, scheduled a date with Joseph Brewer, a first-time client, at his home near Oak Beach. Gilbert scheduled her date with Brewer that night to pay for a birthday present for her mother, who later told a reporter that she tried to talk Shannon out of working that night, insisting that a visit from her daughter was gift enough. At 5 a.m., Shannon placed a 911 call from Brewer's home, screaming, They're trying to kill me. The frantic call lasted 23 minutes, Brewer, who told police that he had no idea what made Shannon feel like she was in danger, then enlisted Shannon's trusted driver, Michael Pack, who was waiting outside, to help get Shannon home. But she instead ran into the darkness, banging on neighbors' doors, begging for help, repeating, they're trying to kill me, they're trying to kill me. According to a deposition Brewer later gave, Gilbert had been diagnosed bipolar, but was not taking any medication. When police arrived, Shannon was gone. Two days later, Shannon Gilbert was officially reported missing. For eight months, investigators searched the Oak Beach area looking for clues to her whereabouts, but came up empty-handed. Then, on December 10, 2010, a task force accompanied by a canine training unit found the skeletal remains of a woman along the northern edge of Ocean Parkway. Investigators assumed they had found the body of Shannon Gilbert but were horrified to discover that this was another victim. 
The body was identified as Melissa Bartholomew, another young escort who advertised her services on Craigslist and had been missing since July of 2009. The discovery caused investigators to return to the area, where over the course of the next few weeks, they discovered the remains of three more women, Megan Waterman, Amber Costello, and Maureen Barnes, all escorts who advertised on Craigslist, all in their 20s, petite, and dumped, wrapped in burlap sacks, by the secluded waterfront called Gilgo Beach. They soon became known as the Gilgo Four. Investigators and reporters quickly realized that this was the work of a serial killer. Long Island, once a beautiful holiday retreat, was now gripped with fear as press swarmed and police and canine units expanded their search. By April, more bodies had been discovered. None of them Shannon Gilbert. Two other sets of remains were found in nearby Nassau County and a skull in Toby Beach. The skull was matched to a set of legs found in a garbage bag on Fire Island in 1996. Sadly, in addition to the women's remains, a toddler's body was also found, matching the DNA of one of the other victims. She was wrapped in a blanket and was 16 to 24 months old. The remains of an Asian male victim were also found. When the body was discovered, it appeared to be wearing women's clothing and had been beaten to death. Investigators believe that though there appear to be inconsistencies in the victim's profile and manner of disposal, they are dealing with a single killer, perhaps one with some knowledge of law enforcement, who knowingly made things harder for police. For example, the murdered child and victim, thought to be the child's mother, were buried a distance away from each other on opposite sides of the Nassau-Suffolk County line, meaning they would have to be investigated by separate counties. On December 13th, 2011, Shannon Gilbert was finally found in a marsh that was just half a mile from where she disappeared. A coroner initially concluded that the cause of death was accidental drowning, believing that she had succumbed to the elements surrounding her, and investigators told reporters that they believed her death may not have been homicide. This preemptive conclusion angered Gilbert's family, who believed that she had been murdered and opened the police department to accusations that they weren't properly investigating Shannon's death. The Suffolk County Medical Examiner officially ruled that Gilbert's cause of death was inconclusive. An independent autopsy conducted by a coroner hired by the Gilbert family also ruled the death inconclusive. Was Shannon Gilbert's death the missing woman whose case led investigators to the discovery of the dumping ground of a serial killer simply an accident, a coincidence, unrelated to the murders it helped uncover? The investigation's focus on Gilbert was likely because there was simply more information than the victims found in the wake of her disappearance. Gilbert was less secretive than the other escorts about her work. She was the only one known to be working with a driver, and she was the only one known to have made a 911 call. Her boyfriend, Alex Diaz, knew about her work and approved of her choice to be an escort. He and Gilbert's driver, Pack, were in contact with each other when she vanished that night and searched for her together. Unlike the friends and families of the Gilgo Four, Gilbert's loved ones knew where she was that night. She took every precaution a woman in her profession can take, which makes her death all the more mysterious. In the absence of new evidence and with the killers still on the loose, the internet has filled the void with conspiracy theories, Facebook groups, internet forums, documentaries and podcasts all attempting to crack the case. 
profilers now believe that the Long Island serial killer may have once resided in Manhattan because seven telephone calls made over a six-week period in 2009 to the sister of one of his victims, Melissa Bartholomew, using her own cell phone, were traced to Manhattan. The killer may also have been an annual summer visitor to the South Shore of New York. This is suggested by the fact that all of the identified sex worker victims, although they disappeared during different years, were reported missing between Memorial Day and Labor Day. The Long Island serial killer is most likely a white male in his late 30s or 40s. He's likely married or has a girlfriend, is well-educated, technologically adept, and well-spoken. He may even be charming. He is financially stable and owns a car or a truck. Police have stated that this is not considered a cold case and that investigations are moving forward. If the killings in Long Island are truly the work of a single killer, he was active for at least 14 years between 1996 and 2010. It is unclear if the killer is still active in the area, if he has stopped killing, if he is even still alive, or if he has simply moved on and found a new dumping ground. This has been Murder Minute. Welcome to One Minute with Murder Minute, the only place that delivers the latest news that brings us one step closer to catching and understanding serial killers. Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of how a genealogy website helped track down a cold case killer. In recent years, genealogy services have emerged as one of the easiest ways for people to discover the family connections hidden within their DNA. These affordable and easy-to-use websites have helped to match people with living relatives around the globe, gauge their risk for certain diseases, and even uncover ancestors dating back centuries. But while most people are using these services to dig up their family tree, investigators have found a new use for this growing global DNA database, rooting out serial killers who've eluded them for decades. In the 1970s and 80s, the Golden State Killer murdered at least 13 people, raped 50 or more, and burglarized over 120. The killer's last known crime was in 1986, when forensic use of DNA technology was in its infancy. Today, the FBI operates a central DNA database, but when investigators ran the DNA recovered from the Golden State Killer's crime scenes, it didn't turn up a match. That was until 2018, when authorities took an unconventional and some now say controversial approach. With the rise in popularity of websites like Ancestry.com, MyHeritage, and 23andMe, investigators realized that they could cross-reference the DNA profile of the Golden State Killer to the public database of one of these websites. They ran the profile through GEDmatch, a free, open-source website which can be accessed without a court order. The results led law enforcement first to the killer's relatives, revealing a gene pool of potential suspects who fit the DNA profile of the killer. They then narrowed it down to one suspect who fit the age range and height of the Golden State Killer and lived in California when the crimes took place. On April 24, 2018, Joseph James D'Angelo, a 72-year-old U.S. Navy veteran and former police officer, was arrested after a used tissue from his trash and a swab from his car door confirmed that his DNA was a match with the Golden State Killer. The revelation sparked a wave of subsequent arrests 
as more investigators adopt the controversial method used to catch one of the most notorious serial killers of the 20th century. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.